Good evening, Redemption Tempe. Thanks. That was kind of you. My name is Jim Mullins. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it's a privilege for me to be able to lead us through this text today and to uh, continue in our series of spiritual rhythms. We've been doing this this spiritual rhythm series where we're really talking about what are the rhythms, the disciplines, the practices that we can implement into our life that help us connect in deeper ways to Jesus. I'll just tell you right now, Ricardo, he sends his regards. He's actually teaching our junior hires and high schoolers up at winter camp, and he's having a good time. He's asking you to pray for them and just ask that that God would work in the lives of the students there. Um, Also, what he's doing is he's skipping out on one of the harder topics. So last week, Ricardo got to talk about Sabbath. He got to tell you guys to relax, to rest, to take a day off. But today... We get to talk about listening to God, and i got to sort out how to tell you how to understand how to listen to God. So he skipped out on, on the hard topic and went up and played around in the snow up north. Well, we here today are going to wrestle with this hard topic. I'm kidding, of course, but it really is a hard topic. So uh, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We have people coming down the aisles who will be, be able to get you a Bible. And as they're co- coming down, I'm going to go ahead and open us in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are here with us, that you are present within us through the Spirit, and you are present here as our Lord and our Savior. Guide us into your word. Guide us into your world and how to apply the truth of the word, and help us to just be a people of prayer for your namesake and a people who tremble at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're talking tonight about listening to God. Listening to God. Some of the most beautiful and broken things in our world today that we hear about are connected to this idea of listening to God. On one hand, you hear of the most physical and social and spiritual transformation happening in the world is being led by many people who say that they are hearing from God and are responding to God. On the other hand, we read in the news about misguided and mentally ill and struggling people who say that they hear from God as well, and they are leading some of the most broken things in the world. So you got to feel the weight of this topic, of that if we don't get listening to God right, we miss a lot of things. Let me show you some people who've listened to God. This is... This is Elizabeth Elliot. Her husband was actually killed as he was bringing the gospel to a particular tribe in South America. And many years later, she came back knowing that she too might be in danger and forgave the tribe and talked to them about Jesus and was a part of seeing kind of revival break out in that community. She's written many books over the years that are some of the most insightful books. She is someone who says that she hears from God. This is William Wilberforce. I think, I think Benjamin just took a picture of like George Washington and put William Wilberforce's name under it. But let's just say for the sake of argument, that's William Wilberforce. This British uh, parliament member. This guy who was intellectually sharp. He was, he was wealthy. He was powerful. But he knew that he bowed his knee to Jesus, and Jesus was more powerful than him. And so he felt like he was hearing from God when he led the abolition of the British slave trade. And then we have C.S. Lewis, a well-known atheist intellectual scholar who encounters God, who becomes a believer, and becomes one of the most significant shapers of thought in our day today. His, his children's books, his, uh, his theological and philosophical books are some of the most profound books ever written. He says he hears from God. But then you get guys like this. Jim Jones. A guy who started a cult that led to a mass suicide of 913 people as they drank Kool-Aid with cyanide. 300 of those people who died were children. He says he hears from God. 
In the last few weeks, we've, we've heard about the, uh, the Charlie Hebedo uh, terrorism attack. And these guys believe that they are the ones who are representing God, who are responding and acting in the world because they have heard from God. And then tomorrow, we'll celebrate a, a man who represents some of the best and worst aspects of America. We have a history in America of people perpetuating racism and slavery and systemic racism, saying that they are the ones who hear from God. But the one who led us out of, it led the civil rights and was the main leader in the civil rights, was deeply formed by his walk with Jesus, and he said he heard from God. So as we talk about what does it look like to listen to Jesus, to listen to God, to respond, we know it's a weighty topic because we know we can get it wrong. We're sinful people. We have hearts that can be deceived and we can be led astray and do some very harmful things. But we also know that our God is a God who communicates, who reveals, who leads and guides He's the good shepherd and his voice goes out to the sheep and we get the opportunity to listen to him and follow him. So today I'm going to make three points. Number one, the feast of Christ is better than the sewage of self-sufficiency. Number two, scripture and prayer are the two ears of the heart. Number three is that God's voice is perfect, but our reception is often bad. Those are the three points. Let's start with point number one. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Revelation 3 and look at verse 15. The point I'm making here is that the the feast of Christ is greater than the sewage of self-sufficiency. Now, what do I mean by that? What I'm really trying to get at here is addressing the question of why. Why do we want to listen to God? Why do we come near to him? We come near to God because we want to be with Jesus. We don't treat him as a genie or a psychic or someone to give us an experience, but he is the one that is central to our lives and the one we truly long to be with. But the church in Laodicea that's being addressed in Revelation 3 had lost that. They lost that understanding that Jesus was central and they felt self-sufficient. Let me give you some context of what's happening in Revelation 3 here. You see, in the first few chapters of Revelation, Jesus addresses these seven churches in Revelation. And in all of these churches were actual churches located in western Turkey. I've actually been able to walk around the ruins of these places and see what they were like, and it was pretty amazing. But all seven of these, Jesus has a word for. Jesus critiques them and actually commends them for some things. Except for the final church, when he gets to the church in Laodicea, the church that we're looking at today, he mainly has critique, but he also has invitation. And what is his critique? His critique is that they are neither hot nor cold, but they're lukewarm. And it's disgusting, and Jesus wants to spit them out of his mouth. But he offers hospitality. He wants to come in and dine with them and be with them. Now, what does this mean? Let's, let's look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Many people have heard this text before and actually have heard people teach on this text and they interpret it like this. And I don't think it's a right interpretation, but they interpret it like this. They say, Jesus wants you to be passionate for him, hot and on fire for him, or you can be cold and and completely reject Jesus and walk away from him. But just don't be apathetic, just don't be lukewarm. Now that doesn't make a ton of sense. Like, why would Jesus want people to reject him and hate him and those sorts of things? And why would that be okay, but being lukewarm is somehow worse than that? This isn't talking about the the level of our passion for Jesus. What it's talking about is actually, it's, it's it's a, he's using symbols from the current context in Laodicea. 
basically, Laodicea had, was known, that whole area, Laodicea and all of the churches in western Turkey at that time, in the, in the Roman world, were known for their excellent technology when it came to aqueducts and irrigation. These folks knew how to deal with water. You had the, the city of Hierapolis, which was a neighboring city to Laodicea, and they, they had hot springs, and it was awesome. You could go to Hierapolis, and you could go there, and it was like going to hot tubs everywhere, and they actually figured out ways to, to bring the hot tubs underneath the buildings, and they would warm the buildings, and they had, it, it heated the buildings in the winter. Uh, I actually w- was just remembering this earlier today. I went on a vacation to what is now in that area, Hierapolis, when I lived in Turkey, and it was so cold. (laughs) It was horribly cold. We didn't have a heater in our room, and I was thinking, man, 2,000 years later, and we can't go back to that good technology that they had then, those hot springs, but they had it figured out. Hierapolis had this hot water, and then there was a neighboring um, city that was also close to Laodicea called Colossae. Now, Colossi didn't have the hot springs, but they had the nice, cool, and refreshing and clean water. Basically, in the summertime, you could go to Colossi and have some of the most delicious, cool, refreshing water you could ever imagine. And as people who are Arizonans, we get it. We know what it's like to get like a big 44-ounce cup of water filled to the brim with ice and to be able to drink that in the middle of the summer on a hot day. But Laodicea didn't have the hot water of Hierapolis or the cold water of Colossae. They had something else. They had the Lycus River. The Lycus River is the main source of water for Laodicea. And what would happen is in the summer, the water would dry out. The riverbed would dry out. And they would have to have these long-range aqueducts that would bring water into the city. And as these, the water came this long distance, you know, it was going by people's houses and they would bathe in it. They would use it as toilets. Like there, there would be uh, sediment in it. And basically this water was nasty and contaminated by the time that it got to Laodicea. And every Laodicean would probably know the experience of having to scoop up some of that nasty sewage water and to drink it and just want to spit it out of their mouth to know that, that they could get sick from water like that. And Jesus says, Laodiceans, you are like that sewage water. Now why? Why is Jesus saying that? Why is he so upset with them? Well, verse 17 says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Basically, the Laodiceans were the people of technological and financial arrogance. They believed that they themselves were were sufficient. They were the self-sufficient people. They didn't need God. They didn't need anything. They themselves provided for themselves, or so they thought. You see, if there's a few, there are three main features of Laodicea at that time. One is it was a commercial center. It was the center of banking, and everybody was very, you know, it was a very wealthy city. People had a lot of money, so they depended on their money instead of Jesus. Also, it was a very beautiful city. It was a city that was known for having incredible wool uh, from these, these unique sort of black sheep that they could make rugs out of and curtains out of and all sorts of, of textiles that made the city look very beautiful. So they were a wealthy city. They were a beautiful city. And furthermore, this was a city that had a medical school that had developed this salve for your eyes where they would crush rock and they would put it over your eyes when your eyes were injured or you were blind. And it was actually a pretty effective medicine for that time. And so they were wealthy, they were beautiful, and they had all the medicine that they needed. And the temptation was was to... It was to think that they, on, the, on their own, provided for themselves. They had the luxury, the medicine, the money, everything they needed. And Jesus' attitude towards them is, there's two, it's twofold. He's nauseated. I mean, you can feel the, the nauseated when you're around the people who think that they are the center of the world and that they are okay and that they don't need anybody else or any help. But Jesus also leans in with an invitation 
to, for them to repent and to feast with him. You see, he easily could say, you know what, Laodiceans, you're on your own. You think you're so self-sufficient? Why don't you try breathing without the oxygen I give you or the lungs that I've given you? Or try living without the mental and physical and emotional capacities that I have given you. Or try making some food without the soil I have given you. The source of every single thing that they had came from God, but they acted as if it came from them. Because of their education and their money and their technology. But Jesus' words to them are, verse 18... I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and the salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus welcomes them back in. Jesus does expose their sin and their arrogance, showing that they are in need. You see, they think that they are spiritually wealthy, but they are truly the Bernie Madoff of the soul. They are frauds. They, are, they think that they are robed in garments of spiritual beauty, but they are running naked, cold through the streets. They think that they have 20-20 vision and the best optometrist in town, but they are blind and in need of someone to take them by their arm and to lead them. And Jesus offers to be that. He says he stands at the door and knocks and welcomes them in to clothe them, to give them the richness of his presence, to heal their eyes that they might actually see, to dine with them and to feast with them. And as we think about what does it look like to listen to God, we can really learn from the Laodiceans. Because what does this sound like? You see, in our day, we are the people who feel like we are self-sufficient. We are in one of the most wealthy countries in the world. We have education. We have media that can give us all the information we need. We have iPhones. We have technology. And there are many ways that we think that we are perfectly provided for by all the stuff that we've made and accumulated. So much so that like the Laodiceans, there is a tendency for us not to be people of prayer or people who tremble at the word because we just don't feel like we need God. He stands at the outside. I mean, if the reality is at the end of the day, if, if technology is our God, our false god, the idol of our culture, then the iPhone really would be the Holy Spirit of the Trinity of, of that idol. Think about the iPhone and all that it promises. It says that it's, it promises to be with you at all times, just like the Holy Spirit. To be your comforter when you feel insecure, you like immediately get on Facebook or something like that. To be your helper, there's an app for everything. And we tend to turn to our, our technology and our, our our education and our media and our money. And you know, like experientially, I bet everybody knows what it's like to get to the emptiness and the end of those things. To realize that only after only so many hours of Netflix, after so many hours of M WebMD, you haven't figured out how to heal yourself. We realize that we are people who are in need. And that our souls, that where all those things are good, our souls were made to have one thing central, and that is Jesus. We've been, we've been gorging ourselves on spam when Jesus extends his offer to feast with us and to give us the filet mignon, the steak of the soul. John Piper says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And that there's a relationship between glorifying God and having him at the center of our life and our deep satisfaction. We were made to worship him. We were made to sit and dine with Jesus. And as we talk about listening to God, it's very important that we are clear that we don't come to God just to provide some stuff for us. But we come to him to be with him. That is the main purpose of listening to, to God, 
to dine with him, to sit with him, to open the door, and to welcome him in. You know, several years ago, uh, my grandpa died, and I had the privilege of being able to live with him for the last six months of his life. I moved from Arizona and went to Colorado and, and, and was able to live with him, and he was a wise man. He loved Jesus, and he had this collection of C.S. Lewis books that he promised that he would give me after he passed away. And I loved C.S. Lewis. Like, I love reading C.S. Lewis. <clears throat> but the thing was, I didn't care about those books. What I remember about that last six, six months was that I got to be with my grandpa, and I would trade every book for five minutes with him. And at the end of the day, we can't treat Jesus like, like he's the one who's just providing us with stuff with a spiritual experience, with the answer to where am I going to go to school, with the answer of where am I going to work, with the answer of who I should date, and to just give us goods and services without having him as the center. He is the one that we are aiming for when we listen to God. See, he stands at the door and he knocks. Will we invite him in or will we keep our earbuds in and keep on doing what we're doing? He stands at the door and knocks, will we set aside our task list and sit with the creation, uh, the, the God of all creation? He stands at the door and knocks, will we push pause on Netflix and, and enter into the great drama of scripture through prayer and spend time with our God? He stands at the door and knocks, will we refrain from our personal salvation projects as we try to climb every ladder? And come and sit with our Savior and be with him. He stands at the door and knocks. And will we refrain from chasing the next dollar and the next experience and the next thing and take some time each day to chase the heart of God, of being with him? Will we open the door and will we respond to him? So if you are listening to God, if you want to hear from God, just to get an answer to a question, some guidance on something that, that you want to do, there's nothing wrong with those things, but he is the central aim of why we come near, not to treat him as a genie or a psychic or a purveyor of goods, but as our king, as our savior, as our friend, let's draw near to him. Which leads me to point number two, that, that scripture and prayer are the, the ears of the heart, you really want to know how to listen to God? I know many of you are saying, like, I got it, Jim. Jesus is good. Yeah, way to go. We, we've covered that in church. But how do I know if I'm really hearing from God so that I don't end up like one of those crazy people and maybe I can be more like Martin Luther King Jr. or something like that? And so I'm going to give some guidance for that. Scripture and prayer, just as we have two physical ears on our head, Scripture and prayer are the two disciplines, the two main ways that we hear from God and are guided by God. We have Scripture, which is the universal and objective way that we hear from God. It's tangible. You can pick up Scripture and you can read it. 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If we want to hear from God in such a way that we're able to really hear the breath of God, to be trained in righteousness, to know how we live out this, this, this phrase that we say all the time, that all of life is all for Jesus. If we want to listen in and hear from God, then we open up the word of God. That is the central place. That is the, the main ear, the, the one of the two ears that we listen to God. And this passage talks about scripture as being authoritative and sufficient for, for leading our lives and structuring our lives and connecting us to God. This passage shows that if we want to hear from God and get his guidance, then we need to encounter him and tremble at the word of God. What do we see when we open up this book? We see an amazing story. The story of redemption, the record of redemption. From the beginning, we see the God who created everything and gives everything meaning by calling it good. The God who 
said put himself as the center of the world, but then created us in his image for fellowship with him, for fellowship with each other, and to flourish as we work and draw the potential out of creation. But then we also see the brokenness and the reality that everything that we know that's broken stems from this sin that erupts in Genesis 3. And then we see prophets looking forward and, and, and the whole and the history of Israel looking forward to the one who would come and who would make things right. And then Jesus comes on the scene like no one you've ever seen before in all of history, perfectly righteous, sitting and dining with the people that he shouldn't, the people that all of society overlooked, feasting with them, healing them, being with them, challenging the arrogant. And then ultimately dying on the cross for all sinners and all of us who are arrogant and try to challenge God as the center of the world. And then he's resurrected on the third day. And as he's resurrected, he shows that he's the first fruits of a new creation. He's the beginning of what's going to happen when God comes and restores all things and makes all things new. And within that book, we have epistles. Uh, teaching for the church. And we have Proverbs, the great wisdom literature from Scripture. And we have Psalms from which we can learn how to pray and know the heart of God. If you want to know the heart of God, we've got to be people of the Word of God. But also prayer. You see, the, the Holy Spirit the, the, uh, gives us the Word of God. It's the, inspired by the Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit guides us into how to understand it and how to apply it in our lives, and how to live it out. You see, it provides that personal guidance. Let's look at John 16, verses 13 through 15. It says, this is Jesus talking about when the Spirit will come. He says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. We believe in one God, but three distinct persons. We see unity and diversity within the beauty of God. And the Holy Spirit is the one who indwells us, who leads us, who guides us. And the Holy Spirit can speak to anybody, whenever. We don't control the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sometimes speaks through people through dreams in Scripture. He even speaks through a donkey. So, like, the Holy Spirit is not under our control. But one thing you notice about the personality of the Holy Spirit, where does the Holy Spirit show up? It shows up among the people of prayer. And I could walk you through almost every single chapter of the book of Acts and show you a people of prayer humbly bowing down and dependent on God and the Spirit coming in and guiding them in the specifics of their life, where to go, what to do, how to apply the word of God. And I would encourage you actually to do do a study through the book of Acts, looking at the Holy Spirit's guidance and the people of prayer. And that if we are the people of prayer, if we gather together as often as we can, and we're praying and we're dependent and we're asking God for guidance, that is the, those are the type of people that, God, that the Spirit tends to show up to and to lead. So we have Scripture and we have prayer, these two disciplines with which we connect with God. Now, here's the problem. And the problem is that we tend to be people who are like, only one-eared people. We tend to be intentionally impaired. You see, a lot of people, because of personality or because of tradition or their background, they tend to either be Bible people or Holy Spirit people. And both of them are wrong. You need both ears to fully hear from God. You have the Bible people. The Bible people, man, they'll beat you at Bible bingo any day of the week. They're in the Word of God. They know how to pronounce the very difficult names in there. They seem to know a lot, and they, they try to obey the best that they can, but oftentimes their relationship with God may seem cold and, and lacking uh, a, a real experience with God. They treat the Bible as a textbook, 
as an encyclopedia for life. So they know the word, they know what to do, but oftentimes they don't know and deeply know the God who's inside that the Bible speaks of. But then on the other hand, you have the Holy Spirit people. The Holy Spirit people seem to have a very warm and very dynamic relationship with God. They're always talking about the Holy Spirit. They tend to forget the other members of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit this, the Holy Spirit that. They're being guided all of the time. They have visions. They know what to do. And they really do have a dynamic relationship with God. But because there's a theological and biblical shallowness, they tend to do a lot of things that God may not, that go contrary to Scripture and end up blaming God for those things. Both of these are wrong. Both of these are not the way. Both of these are to choose to block one ear, to have earwax in one of the ears of your heart. But when we bring them together, the both and is when we get something beautiful. That's when we really hear from God. If we choose to be either or people, we're going to cause damage to the church, and we're actually going to miss out on a real deep encounter with God. Let me tell you a story to illustrate this. There was a guy on our football team, eighth grade. His name was Justin. Every single time we'd go to play, people would ask for Justin's birth certificate because Justin was a beast. This guy was an eighth grader, and he had a beard growing out of his beard. Like, he was, he was that kind of guy. He had muscles on top of muscles. He had crazy eyes. He was ready to just hit people in football. And he was one of the best players on our team. But the problem was is that he was deaf in one ear, and sometimes that would cause us the game sometimes. There was one time when we punted the ball to the other team, and he was one of the guys who was running down the field to tackle the, guy, the punt returner. And in football, basically when you're, when you're fielding a punt and you see that there are a lot of people who are going to come tackle you and you don't want to get tackled, you wave your hand like this, and then the ref will blow the whistle after you catch the ball, plays over, they don't tackle you, right? So the punt's up in the air, and he sees crazy eyes Justin coming at him full steam. So he waves his hand as soon as possible. And the, the, the ref blows the whistle as soon as he catches it. He takes the ball, and he casually starts walking off the field. But Justin is on the wrong, he's on the side of his bad ear where the ref blew the whistle, didn't hear the whistle at all, and lit this guy up, sent him like 10 feet in the air. All of a sudden, you know, everybody's yelling, Justin gets thrown out of the game, people are threatening lawsuits, uh, and it's, it's, it's bad news. And we ended up actually losing that game because our best player was uh, kicked out of the game. And when we choose to be deaf in one ear, we damage the church and we miss out on really being able to play the game, to engage in a full life with God. So let's be both and people. And we need hearing aids. A lot of us, we, we struggle to get in the word and we struggle to pray. So I want to give you just seven tangible things. I'll move through them quickly, but I'll post them on the city uh, and on our blog later, of tangible things that you can do to grow in hearing God and engaging with God. Number one is get an alarm clock and get a calendar. You may not think that's very spiritual, but we make time for the things that we love. The things that are important to us, we will get up early for those things, and we will schedule them into the calendar. Do the same thing for your time with God. Number two is meditating on Scripture, meditating on the Word of God. You see, meditating is a type of, of engaging with Scripture that uh, not a lot of us are familiar with. We often are more familiar with reading and studying, but meditating is about a slow, prayerful, reflective reading. Take a psalm and slowly read over it about ten times. Pray. See the words and the sentences and the phrases that God brings to mind. See how he's applying those things to your life. But slow down and, and really savor the word of God. There's, there are other forms of, of meditating, more like Eastern forms, that talk about emptying your mind. But biblical meditation is about filling your mind with the truth and savoring it. So spend some time meditating on the word. Number three is a daily reading plan. If you don't have a daily reading plan, just start here. Two chapters of the Old Testament, two chapters of the New Testament, and just keep doing that for the rest of your life. 
That'll work. But uh, reading plans are really powerful. They, you don't always feel the payoff every single day. It's not an incredible, uh, I do think it is an incredible experience, but it's more thinking long-term and long-range. I knew a guy, his, na- his name was Ken. He was 80 years old, and he had read the Bible through over 50 times in his life just because he simply said, I'm going to read through the Bible once in a year, and he was probably around 30-something when he started. And the guy knew the heart of God and he knew the word of God because he slowly and steadily read it every single day. Um, number four is get a prayer journal. If you are like me, I'm like, like the ADD, uh, the poster child of ADD, then this can be helpful to you. I am such a poster child of ADD that like I, I get on Wikipedia sometimes. There, I kid you not. There was a day a few months ago where I got on Wikipedia to look up Cave Creek. I've never been to Cave Creek, so I thought, let's look up Cave Creek. Two hours later, I was reading about the gaudy crime family with the mafia and had completely lost track of time, just linking from Wikipedia from thing to thing to thing. And so a lot of us, it's just hard to focus, right? And so when when you're praying, so... Get a prayer journal. Write out your prayers. It helps you focus on what you're praying, and then you can return to that journal later in life and see the different ways that God answered prayer. Um, Another one would be scripture memorization. When we send things out on the blog in the city, I'm going to give you some resources for this. But this is really about hiding the word of God in your heart. And the more we memorize, the spirit will bring those things to mind in the most crucial moments, those scriptures to mind. Um, number six would be prayer walking. This idea that prayer is this thing that you do with your eyes closed and your hand folded, I'm sure was invented by just some mom who wanted to keep her children just sitting still, like God says you have to close your eyes and fold your hands. But that's not really the biblical posture of prayer. Much more is our eyes are open. They're, they're open and watchful and they're looking and they're lifting up. And so go on some prayer walks. Go to the places that are most important to you and pray for those places and ask God to bring things to mind. Uh, Your work, go prayer walk through the office or through ASU or maybe in your neighborhood and, and just walk with Jesus. Go on walks with him, pray for things. Maybe even choose a walking route where there are symbolic things. I, I like to do this a lot where there are beautiful parks where I go to praise God and thank him. And then when I go to confess my sin, I like to go by a dumpster and get like the nasty smells in my nose and, and associate that with sin. But have a, a full sensory prayer life. Um, and then, then finally, in, do three times of prayer or, or four times of prayer, multiple times of prayer in a day. A lot of times people think that all prayer has to be done in the morning for an hour long. But... But historically, the Christian traditions and Jewish traditions had these multiple prayer times throughout the day. And so here are three that I've done. You can do different ones. But feasting, planning, and reflecting. So the first thing in the morning is feasting. Just spend time worshiping God, praising him, thanking him, singing out to him, reading psalms, and then planning. So then I open up my calendar and I plan out my day And why not do that with the Holy Spirit if Jesus is the Lord of all of life? So pray through each hour of the day. Pray for the upcoming meetings. Ask wisdom for what to take off of your plate, what to add on to your plate. And then reflecting. When you come home, instead of immediately going to the next, you know, Netflix binge, take 15 minutes and reflect on the day prayerfully. Thank him for the good things, the grace that he extended Pray for the broken things. Confess sin. And look for where God was at work that day. So as we prayerfully engage in scripture and in prayer, we will hear from God. And these are just a few practices for you. And this leads me to my last point, that God's voice is perfect, but our reception is often bad. Sometimes we have bad reception. God, when he speaks, speaks perfectly, but sometimes we don't hear well. 
sometimes our reception is bad. You know, Ricardo, he is one of those guys who, he, he is a professional talker. This guy is amazing when it comes to talking. If, they had, if talking was an Olympic sport, Ricardo would be winning gold medals for the U.S. left and right. I've gone on a lot of trips with him, and from the mo- moment he wakes up in the morning to the, to the moment he goes to sleep, he doesn't need a ton of quiet time. He's talking. He's about interesting things, articulating things, and then he, just, and then he goes to bed. But here's the problem. The problem is Ricardo also has some of the worst reception in his cell phone plan of anybody I've ever met. Like in order to have a real conversation with him over a cell phone, he basically has to go to the top of a mountain and wear like a tinfoil suit in order for it to come through. And so I know when, when things are broken up in our conversation over the phone, it's not because what he's saying, there's anything wrong with what he's saying, it's that we have bad reception. And we can be like that as well. We can be people who have bad reception because of our sin and because of the fact that we are not God. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's very easy for us to deceive ourselves that, and think that God is the one who's leading to us or speaking to us at times. So we need to not take ourselves so seriously. When we say that we're hearing from God, know that it's a human that's hearing from God, and we might be getting it wrong. James Jones, Jim Jones, he didn't believe that he had it wrong. But we need to be open to other people challenging us and reflecting on the word. 1 Thessalonians 5 says to not despise these sorts of things of hearing from God and prophecy and those sorts of things, but to test everything, to test it as a part of the community. Paul even struggled with fully hearing from God. If you look at Acts 16, he goes from city to city to city, and the Holy Spirit actually forbids him from doing ministry in that city. He couldn't figure out which city to do ministry in, and he traveled hundreds of miles before he had this vision to go to Macedonia, where he was called to do ministry. And Paul struggled. We're going to struggle, not because God doesn't speak well, but because our, our reception is often bad. And sometimes we get it half right. And as we walk with Jesus, we just learn to hear his voice a little more. Let me tell you a story about uh, when I, about nine or ten years ago with my wife and I and our our attempt to really hear from God. You see, about nine or ten years ago, we were, we had this practice in our life. You may have heard of it. It's a strange practice, especially when you have kids. But believe me, it's true. It's the practice of naps. You may have heard of it. Look it up in Wikipedia. There's something called a nap, and it exists. It's where you sleep in the middle of the day. And we would would take naps sometimes because we didn't have much responsibility. So we took a nap one Saturday afternoon, and Jenny had a dream during her nap. And in her dream, she felt like God was really communicating with her, and there was this vision of a, a Pakistani woman in a wheelchair, and that Jenny just felt like God was pointing her direction at that. So we were praying, and I felt like maybe I could interpret this dream, right? So I started, I, what I thought it was, is I thought it was a metaphor for Pakistan as a country being wounded and in need of healing, and that their economy needed help, that, that the leadership needed help, and that they needed uh, restoration and revival in Pakistan. So I led us in, in prayer, and we prayed for a long time to that end. And then we stepped outside, and when we walked outside, we saw about 50 Pakistani neighbors. Uh, We had a few Pakistani neighbors, but they invited all their friends for Ramadan, and they were breaking the fast. And they invited us to share a meal with uh, with them. The men were outside, and the women were inside. And when Jenny went inside, she saw the woman from her dream in a wheelchair in that room and was able to pray for her. And it was a powerful moment where the spirit was at work. Jesus was exalted. The the woman wasn't healed or anything, but there was just this palpable sense of God's presence. Now, here's the thing. At the end of the day, was God doing something? Was he leading us? I think so. I definitely think so. But also... My interpretation of things were kind of weird. Like I was like looking up the leadership of Pakistan and reflecting on Pakistan's economy and this whole big idea of what this dream was all about. When at the end of the day, God was just like, hey, 
here's a woman, pray for her when you see her. And, and that is how, that's how it is with listening to God sometimes. We don't always get it right, but as we walk closer with Jesus, as we come to, to familiarize ourselves with his voice day in, day out, we're able to understand him. John 10 talks about how Jesus is the good shepherd, and the sheep hear his voice, and we respond to him. And I just want to give you this vision that, of, a, of, a, of a sheep walking close to a shepherd. The longer that sheep walks with the shepherd, the closer that sheep walk, walks with the shepherd, the more that sheep is going to understand the voice of the shepherd. So if you want to hear the voice of God, it's about day in, day out, reflecting on the word and prayer and listening to the voice, not just in the most dramatic times, but in all times and every day. The more you get to know somebody, the more time you spend with somebody, the more you recognize their voice and understand what they are about. Let me tell you about Ricardo. See, over the years, I, I, Ricardo's become one of my, my closest friends, but he when I first met him, I made the big mistake that if you know Ricardo, he has the weakest stomach of anyone in the world. Like saltine crackers and white bread might be a little bit too spicy for him sometimes and give him an upset stomach. Now, um, early, early on in our friendship, I'd like bring him some like slimy eggs or something like that so with runny yolk and he would almost vomit. It was bad. But over the years, I've come to know that Ricardo, he has a very, very refined palate but also like a pretty significant gag reflex as well. So we were having dinner one night with, with his wife and Ricardo and with Jenny and I, and um, we were having dinner, and all of a sudden, Ricardo, I hear from across the table that Ricardo is ordering the duck. Now, we're not talking about, we're not talking about pieces of a duck. We're talking about like basically a whole duck that comes out before you. And I hear him about to order this. I hear him ordering it. And I immediately order the pad thai. Non-spicy pad thai too. Because I know what's about to happen. I know that I am going to eat duck for the first time that night. Because <laughs> Ricardo is not going to be able to handle that duck. And sure enough, the, the, the food gets laid before him. And he cannot even get his fork to that thing before he starts gagging. And so that's the story of the night that I first tried Thai-style duck. So Ricardo had the pad Thai that night. And over the years, I've gotten to know him fairly well, that as soon as I even hear him order the duck, I know it's about to go down. And, and our, our walk with Jesus is similar. The more time we spend with him, the more we get to know him, the more we can hear his voice. And there aren't really, there's not a formula, a perfect formula I can give you to know if you are hearing from God. But let me close with this. Let me close with some questions that you can ask anytime you think that you are hearing from God and being guided by God. These are biblical discernment questions. Number one is, what does scripture say? The Holy Spirit is the the author of scripture, the divine author of scripture, and isn't going to contradict anything that he said in the word of God. So if it's contrary to the word of God, it's not the Holy Spirit. You're hearing from another voice. What does my community say? We need to be people with many counselors, with many believers in our life, knowing that we often have bad reception, but together, collectively, we can hear from, from, from God and we can give each other wisdom. Number three, what does my conscience tell me? Our, God often uses our conscience to guide us. If, if your conscience tells you it's sin, it's probably God guiding you away from something. Our, our conscience can often be um, seared because of sin and, and, and morphed because of sin. But if we're sensitive to God, our conscience will be used by the Holy Spirit. Number four, what are my potential sinful motives that may influence me? So, for example, we live in a, uh, we all have sinful motives, and, and, and those things can often influence us. And frankly, a lot of times when we say that we're hearing from God, and it's our, actually our sinful motives, we're saying that we're hearing from God as sort of a, a trump card so that people can't argue with us. I've, I've known many people who've said, 
Um, I, I know that I shouldn't be dating this person. I know that I shouldn't uh, uh, be going this far with this person sexually. But it just, it feels right. And if it feels so right, how could God be against it? And really, we have to check our sinful motives and, and know that that's not always the voice of God, that oftentimes that's our voice, our sinful motives. Number five, what are the values of culture and how might those uh, misguide me. Now, every day we, we are hit with advertisement after advertisement that tends to shape our, our values, shape a lot of things. And if you, if you have a sense that, hey, maybe God wants me to go into $40,000 of debt to buy this car that I can't afford, it might not be Jesus speaking to you. It might be a commercial, you know, <laughs> But we need to be sensitive to how the, the, the values of the culture and how those might misguide us. And then finally, number six, what are the circumstances in my life? Does it seem like God is, is opening uh, doors and closing doors? Like, I don't believe that God is calling me to be the, the prime minister of Pakistan right now. I just, I don't believe that. And even if I did believe it, there aren't a lot of open doors for that sort of thing in my life. But what are the circumstances of your life knowing that God orchestrates those things? And at the end of the day, we have to move forward. We have to take some risks. And we have to stumble forward. Knowing that sometimes we hear God. Sometimes we hear him partially. And sometimes we completely mishear him. But if we are saturated in scripture and in prayer and in community, and really reflecting on the place of our own heart, we will be able to be guided by the Spirit. So in the end, the three points are that the feast of Christ is better than the sewage of self-sufficiency. Scripture and prayer are the two ears of the heart. And that the voice of God is perfect, but we often have bad reception. And if you walk away with just one thing, know this. That in the midst of a world of noise, a world where our earbuds are always in and the commercials are always on and the sound is always on full blast, underneath all that, there is Jesus knocking. Will we open the door and will we feast with him? Let's pray. Father, we just... um, We thank you for the reality that you are a God who reveals. You reveal yourself. You you guide us. You are our good shepherd. You lead us. And we thank you for that. We thank you because we, we know that we couldn't find you. We couldn't connect with you. We couldn't be with you on our own ability and on our own knowledge but you are the one who is the good shepherd who has taught us your voice. Lord, would you make us, your church here in this room, would you make us a people of prayer? Would you make us a people who tremble at your word? And would you make us a people who respond to the voice of Jesus who stands at the door and knocks and who wants to come in and feast with us? It's in your name we pray, amen.